0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAlliance.net. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com.
1: And just like that, here we are. It's uh, it's a Monday, and it's a, a new redefining cybersecurity podcast here on ITSP Magazine. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Um, yeah, my, I'm I'm enjoying these live video podcasts. Uh, there's a, a few in the bucket now and, and I've taken the chance to kind of look at a few different topics uh, from identity to security operations to response to risk management, all the all the stuff that I uh, love and live and breathe in my mind anyway, even if I'm not a practitioner. <laughs> and uh, today's topic is rooted in identity and I have two two sessions on this topic. One is around the actual identity and identity management. The other is around secure access. And uh, today we're digging into secure access. And uh, I think as I was thinking about this particular topic, part of it is obviously figuring out who and what is trying to get access to something. And then there's the, well, are they supposed to have it? And how do we manage all of that? So we're going to focus on that second part. That's systems and applications and and databases and APIs and, uh, I don't know, all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. So that's why I bring cool guests to, uh, to join me to help with this conversation. Janice Cambrick and John Sapp. John Sapp, thank you so much. Here we are. It's all about security operations, identity management, secure access. Thank you both for joining. Thank you, Sean.
2: Thank you, Sean. Pleasure to be here. And uh, what I'd like
1: to do, maybe, just to quickly have each of you say a few words about what you are up to, your role, uh, as much as you want to share, and your initial thoughts on secure access and why this is a topic you uh, you agreed to join me on, Shanisa.
3: Yeah, so thank you again for having me. My name is Shanisa Cambric. I am a Principal Product Manager with Microsoft in our Identity Protections Division, and I'm focused on securing, when you think about emerging digital identity, what that is, how do we protect it? And so my thoughts are, this is my bread and butter. I'm happy to be here, and I love identity. I love secure access.
2: I love it. And John? Uh, John Sapp, uh, I'm the VP of Information Security for uh, Texas Mutual Insurance Company. Been in uh, cybersecurity, uh, risk, and compliance for gosh, about 20 plus years now. Um, broad range of industries from financial services to uh, healthcare, retail, manufacturing, and uh, really uh, focused on uh, an overall uh, strategy for the protection of an environment for our for our company and uh, really excited about this topic because it's you know when, when you think about secure access and, and authorization and all of that stuff you know and the the, the birth and growth of secure access service edge uh, sassy as they call it um, definitely a hot topic right now
1: so maybe that that might be a good spot spot to start if i can only say my words correctly today um sassy um who wants to take the the definition of that and and kind of what the evolution of of secure access and VPNs and and uh, wan to to what Sassy is now and I don't know might might be a good place to start on who, who wants to take the first crack at that?
2: Yeah, I'll 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 jump in uh, because this this is something that it's it's an it's an initiative that with with the pandemic has you know become a really hot topic because with people working remotely. Um, organizations found that their VPNs were were stretched to the max or um, they they were having to add access to, uh, to employees to be able to connect remotely because of the everybody becoming working from home and all of that stuff but you know you you found a lot of products and solutions out there that would that jumped into the the sassy market and claimed to have a sassy solution. Um, but it was only part of the solution. It was the security side of it, but not the networking side of it. So you, you take, you know, you you had CASB vendors, you know, who all of a sudden went and decided, oh, hey, you know what, let me add a secure web gateway, and then um we we can help provide you with um a, a more secure perimeter in terms of access for your employee base, but they didn't bring along the network side of it. And so you found Uh, There were problems with trying to access. uh, So if you were using a soft phone, for example, uh, that was a problem. You still needed uh, a VPN connection to be able to make that soft phone work. So um, I just found that there was um, a lot of challenges with that. And and companies were launching off with with these SASE initiatives. And now if you look, uh, there's now a redefinition of it. Now it's just SSE. So now it's just Secure Source Edge as opposed to secure access because of the networking side was just not part of it and Shanisa
3: Yeah. So just piggybacking on to what some of what John said, and to me, it also blends in with the whole zero trust uh, methodology, which, you know, sometimes vendors try to make you think it's a product, but it's really not. It's more of a framework and there's all these different pieces and parts that need to come to it. And one of the biggest things I think that gets missed is that you need to understand what identities are in your environment. And I know we're, focused more on the access piece of this, but they go together, right? Like if you don't know that you have a phone that needs to connect into your environment, then you're you're missing the big picture. So.
1: Couldn't agree more. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you, you mentioned Sassy, so I went there, but I what I wanna take a moment to talk about is, I mean, cause what you both just described is there's a lot of tech available, right? There's no question about that. Every product has the has the 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 silver bullet for the thing that they're trying to help with, um, which means you have a nice nice uh, collection of silver bullets uh, that may or may or may not work well together in real life. And the challenge I have with zero trust, and I understand the, the purpose of thinking ahead and trying to get ahead and shift things left, and all those uh, buzzwords and buzz phrases we we want to throw out there. But in reality is there's a lot of legacy stuff inside organizations and there are a lot of legacy operations and processes and people that have been around forever. Right? So how, how do organizations look at secure access now and kind of get their hands wrapped around that in a way that meets the business need? And I don't know, it's a very broad question, but I guess what, what are some of the challenges organizations face with putting the future of SASE and and SSE aside and where should organizations kind of focus?
3: Yeah. So I'll jump in and hopefully John can add some color here, but a lot of security professionals may not like my answer, but to me, it goes back to risk. And what is the business goal? What are the business drivers? Um, And that's going to color, you know, how do you actually secure your environment and where your investments go? Um, You mentioned that there's a lot of companies that still have legacy, and that's because they've put that investment there and they're not willing to make that transition to something else at this point in time. Um, So that's something that you have to factor in and you'll have to live with to some degree. Um, And trying to change that mindset will be a top-down decision.
2: Yeah, and I I couldn't agree with you more, um, Shanisa. And you know, when you, when you think about it, it's um, the knowing what 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 systems you have in place, what, what how what type of access do you need. I mean, it's it's not just the people. Um, it it is you know, and, and when I I think about you know the concept of zero trust, it all becomes digital trust. And you know, it's what are those environments you're trying to connect to because. There are a lot of digital transformations going on right now. So people trying to transition as much as they can from some of those legacy platforms, but it's not a, a something that you can do really at a fast pace. So, you know, if you're trying to move to the cloud, uh, like a lot of organizations are uh, mine included, um, it, it has to be very well thought out, planned out. And, you know, because with those legacy platforms, you have some limitations in terms of whether it's, you know, just password configuration. So, you know, you've got, you know, the mainframes and the mid range systems that are there in um, a lot of uh, financial services uh, in industries, you know, they just can't get rid of right now. So, you know, there's a ton of historical data that that still needs access to. Um, and so it's, the, the thinking about the the, the the who and the what are, are major components of that, who in terms of whether it's an employee, whether it's a business partner or someone or a vendor that needs access to your environment to support your environment um, on some of those legacy platforms or whether it is, um, you know, um, and, uh, just uh, any number of different types of um people or things that need access to your environment because you've got APIs and then you've got, that's a whole nother topic of API security. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get us off track, but uh, I'll, I could talk about that for days, but yeah, you know, legacy platforms are, are a huge piece of the consideration.
1: Yeah, and then thankfully there are no tracks here uh, that the purposefully, <laughs> no, no agenda, no, no uh, specific place to go here. Um, so uh, what, what you're pointing to, both of you, are, are just the, the sheer complexity of the number of systems, the number of people, the, the applications, um, where the data is. You, John, you talked about moving to the cloud. Is it on-prem? Is it uh, in the cloud? Is it hybrid? Is it, where is it all? And how do we manage all that? So my question is, who owns, I have many questions, but who, who owns secure access? Is it networking? Is it security? How, if it's both, is there another group like the business involved or risk management? How does how does the secure access program, if there is such a thing, kind of come together? Who owns it? Who's involved?
3: So I would say it's a team sport. So all of the above, <laughs> essentially, uh, you know, all of these different players need to come together to understand how your environment is structured. And you know, John talked about. The who and the what, but you also need the why. Why do these individuals or these entities need access? Uh, I like to say identity of things because now, you know, as John mentioned, you have APIs, you have bots, uh, you know, you have cell phones that need to connect into a network. So all of these come together to paint that picture or need to be part of your picture. And in addition to that, thinking about, you know, your supply chain. So what other companies are connected into your environment and why and when and where do they need access? Um, So I'll quit saying, you know, this is the big picture. But to me, that really is like all these components need to come together.
2: Oh, I I absolutely agree. And, you know, that's a very important addition that you you put on that. Who and what is is the why? Because it is about risk. Uh, You know, IT risk is business risk at the end of the day. And it is, um, you know, having an understanding of who needs access to what and why they need that access and what risk does that pose to the business and and how do you manage that risk? And, you know, because you, you think about it and, you know, seems like every day there's some mention of, you know, some potential breach or, or some unauthorized access to an environment. You know, there was, you know, you think about the, um, the, the, the couple that came up in, in the last, uh few weeks. And it is, there. there's a large concern about what is the risk. So uh,
1: I often feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that organizations and security teams have to find the right balance between managing risk today, future-proofing the business for tomorrow, um, making investments that won't just live for today, but can actually can survive through transitions to the cloud, new business models, new business services, whatever, they, whatever the changes, the threat landscape, of course, changes. So it, where does the big picture for secure access sit? Is, is it in risk management?
2: I, I think it certainly starts there because it is knowing and understanding what is your external attack surface what because the perimeter is pervasive uh, but i don't know i mean right now people and the things that are accessing the environment as is the perimeter and it is where where do those things go where are those things coming from that have to be considered you know it's we think about things in terms of do you allow access from certain countries um things like that it is, it, it is definitely an exercise in risk management and something that you know in, in our organization and what I've seen over the past five to seven years is it's something that is a, a topic of uh, that sits on the ERM committee agenda. Um, it's something that boards always want to know out is what is our risk? Because that's the question we're being asked about in the boardrooms today is it's it's not. Um, and that's really how me personally, I've justified the spend. On, on security technologies and capabilities and the services and or the resources needed to protect the systems and the data.
3: Yeah. And I would say also looking at the future of where you think your company is going. Um, you know, again, John mentioned about those transformations that a lot of companies are taking and one step of that is, you know, moving into the cloud. But then, looking even beyond that, of thinking about things like the metaverse, does your company feel like they're going to have a footprint there, and what does that mean for your cybersecurity posture? Um, so there's that, you know, looking at risk today, and then r- looking at risk in the future. Yeah,
1: the the explosion of virtual identities,
3: Yikes. exactly. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, uh, and multiple verses coming together. Um, so where where does the connection happen between risk management and policy and controls? Because how do organizations usually approach this? How should they approach this? Um, Is it, so is it based on the most precious resources, the most precious business unit, the, where the, the biggest risk sits regardless of value um, or we're about to embark on this transformation program. So now's a good time to to look at secure access as we develop this part. It could be all those things, but I'm wondering, where's your experience lead an organization to say this is a good place to start mapping risk management to some policies and controls? Shanice uh, or John, go ahead.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah I was just going to say, you know, I think about it in terms of knowing and understanding what are what are what are your most valuable assets. So I think about it in terms of everything is an asset in my mind, whether it's people, process, the actual technology, the data, everything is an asset. So you identify what are those assets that you have, what are the ones that you feel the greatest need to protect, and what's the risk to those assets and and what's the impact to the business from a financial perspective because everybody understands risk in financial terms, which has always been something that's difficult for us in security to try to quantify. And I've been working at risk quantification, gosh, for the past 10 years in trying to put it into financial terms, not just in terms of metrics that say, oh, we've had this number of events that became incidents and all of that technical data. It's put it into some terms that will that the business can understand that the boardroom can understand. And so it's really trying to frame that picture of these are the assets that we have. These are the ones that we collectively want to protect the most because it has the greatest impact to the business is, is where, where I start with it.
3: Yeah. And I would uh, agree with that. And a couple of points I would add would be kind of where you start may depend upon the maturity of the company right? You know, some companies do have a greater appetite to see security put in place and greater controls put in place. Uh, Some companies are fine with what's not broke. Let's not fix it, (laughs) you know, type of scenarios. And then the other piece of this, what's really worked well for me in the past is building partnerships with our governance and risk and compliance teams. Um, Because at the end of the day, if you have a compliance mandate that you need to adhere to and you fail that compliance, there is a cost to that. Um, So they can help you in selling that security posture to your business and your management.
2: Yeah, I think it's that risk versus reward conversation.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, so I I can't tell you how many times I've heard. uh, I've probably even said it more times than I've heard. You need to change the culture. Of security to not just block access for the sake of uh, protecting the organization, but to actually help drive revenue and embrace the risk in a way that you can push the organization forward. How have you experienced that? If if you have, um, where you've made a de- made a decision on, okay, this is how we're going to manage access, knowing that there is some risk there, but it it enables this part of the business to achieve its objectives. And we have other controls to compensate the risk uh, of that secure access being made. Shanisa?
3: Well, one thing that comes to mind right off the bat is the fact that all of us went home during a pandemic and security enabled a lot of employees to work remotely and continue business operations. So there is a you know, driver that actually helps the business in that case. Um, then there's the cost avoidance, which is, it's one of those things that you want to try to use the least. Uh, you want to show that security is actually adding a, additional value versus, you know, taking away those expenses. Um, but the, yeah, again, the one that comes to mind is the fact that we can all work remotely um, in a secure way based on security posture being enabled.
2: Yeah, and one what I'd like to add to that is, you know, Security, as you know, we we've all heard the the concept of you know security needs to be an enabler and not a um, you know an inhibitor of, of any sort. And so I've you know had the the, the opportunity in in past roles to actually um, drive security innovation and and how do we take security and make it a competitive advantage? Um, I did this back in in the healthcare world where you have the you know. Early on, when application security was became a hot topic, you know, in you know two thousand eight two thousand nine time frame, and it was you know trying to sell that. It was the one way that I sold it was uh, as a competitive advantage because if we were able to demonstrate that by adding by leveraging security technologies to protect data, to not just meet compliance requirements, but to also show. And, and drive confidence in, in a product or service. Um, that's one way to to frame it up, but you but you have to be able to deliver on that and show the value of security in it. So you you think about when um, you know that the, the High Tech Act um, came about. Um, that was one of the things was it, it was all about um, you know how how do I protect the data? How do you know in, encryption was being pushed as as a big thing? So. Um, okay, so if we are able to deliver encryption, or you know other types of data protection, you know DLP or whatever it may be, to our to our customer, so my customer would be the business, but the business's customer would be let's say a physician or um, you know, a physician practice or a hospital, who was also struggling with the same things of how do we protect this data? We're using Company X's. Uh, software in our environment. So, what are their security controls that they have in place? And so, we deliver that because you you have a small practice of five doctors. Let's say, you know, they don't have an IT staff. So, you know, as we as a security as a software vendor, I, I was able to convert my cost center to a profit center by delivering a security capability such as encryption and DLP to our our end customer. So that they could literally, it just became a line item on on the order sheet.
3: John, you might need to start a training course for other people on how to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. Only if you're going to join me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about that a little more because the, it's the, what I'm expecting to find in there, John, is kind of the, that small five-person doctor's office. Mm-hmm. They don't know the the encryption lingo. They don't know the access lingo. They don't know the IT lingo, right? right. Let alone the, the deeper security lingo. And I'm expecting that whether it's a mature company driven by risk management and GRC or a less mature, smaller organization who's kind of doing it all themselves, it, there's a lot of value in, in going back to that why and telling a story, right? Why are we doing this? Why is this important to the business how and then maybe the how do we enable the business to succeed there um you're you're ready to chime in there, John how important is storytelling and maybe I don't know if you have any examples that you can share with that that maybe help
2: i, I do, and you know actually <laughs> i I guess it's written all over my face i I don't hide my emotions or my thoughts very well um but yeah, you know storytelling is i think critical um you know i, I once worked for uh, one, one of the large uh, consulting companies, and you know that was a key part of how we delivered things to our clients is is through telling a story. You know, helping them understand the who, what, when, where, and why. And you know, the, you, you will eventually get to the how because the technology is is the final piece of the puzzle. But you know, there's there's people, process, and technology, right? So you know, it's the story about. And and I'll tell you the story uh, in in really short. But you know how I sold that um, back in 2009, I think it was. Um, that you know, so you take um, a healthcare organization that produces and creates a anesthesia cart, and so you know, um, and at the time the movie Awake was out, so that actually helped a lot in, in telling the story. But you know, you've got a the there's. And it also has a risk context to it. So, you know, you've got an anesthesia cart. So you've got a patient, you know, of whatever age, you know, going in for an operation. And, you know, so the the cart administers the flow of anesthesia based on the patient's condition, age, all those different things. Right. So if software is installed on that, which runs that it is Internet connected and there is some type of an attack or even just a security flaw or vulnerability that gets exploited, um, even accidentally, because in an application, you could have a buffer overflow just from somebody, you know, kind of entering the wrong birth date or age of a patient. Now that all of a sudden there's something that goes wrong, overflow happens, the application restarts. So that's classified as a security issue. So that happens, the cart restarts, it stops the anaflow, the, the flow of anesthesia to that patient. During, in the middle of an operation, that patient wakes up not a good idea, not, not a good thing for, for anybody. So now you've got the risk of, you've got um, legal risk because of there, there will be lawsuits that will occur. You've got financial risk because now your product is going to be pulled from the shelf because of compliance risk, because the FDA comes along and says, Hey, this thing is not safe. There's been an, uh, an incident. So now there's an investigation. You've got operational risk both to the hospital and to the organization who sold them the software, um, you know, the risk is never ending. So now you've got all those different categories of risk, and so when you tell that story and you identify the risk that's in it, now all of a sudden they get it, and then it became okay. So what do you need to ensure that this doesn't happen to us?
1: And Shanice, I don't know if if you have any. Let's keep telling this story. Any any <laughs> examples to. Kind of take that, obviously that's John's story, but maybe one of your own, that, that says, okay, now, now we're going to, I maybe we already have this working group, right, that encompasses the teams you mentioned earlier. And this is our story. This is what matters to the business. This is what we need to protect. Who? How do we drive that throughout the rest of the organization now uh, in terms of who sets the policies? Who enforces those through controls? Who's monitoring them uh, to make sure they're still in place? Um, and if they if they do go off the rails, uh, what's the remediation in response to that? How, how do you how do you get us to that place from that initial story?
3: Yeah, so for me, I definitely don't have a story that's as deep as John's. <laughs> it's not life ending potentially, but uh, yeah, in terms of you know thinking about I keep going back to the word big picture. When it comes to access, Uh, what's been successful for me is building that sense of empathy with your business and what are the pain points that you're trying to solve for. Um, A lot of times it may be something as simple as we want to be able to onboard a user um, within one day versus two weeks um, at a company. And so what are the security processes that need to be put in place to enable that? Uh, What are the compliance concerns that may be preventing that and how can we address those through some security policy or methodology or even a a tool. Um, At the end of it, I think it goes back to being able to talk with people, Um, not just making assumptions about, you know, the business is thinking one thing, security is thinking another, and, you know, compliance is uh, on a, a separate tangent somewhere. Bringing everybody together in one place, having the same conversation of what is the business strategy here that we're trying to enable.
1: John, any thoughts there?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think the the last few words that Sunisa just said was, uh, "What is the business strategy that we're trying to enable?" That's the key because whether it's healthcare, where you're trying to enable the secure delivery of healthcare, because the 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 chief medical officer is is your number one um, opponent that that you're really having to work against because it is they will always tell you we're trying to save lives here. So I don't, you know, as much as I get and understand the need for security, I don't, I can't have you slow down uh, my a physician's access to what they need in the op, in the OR. I can't have you get in the way of being able to onboard a doctor or, you know, if, you know, there's an emergency surgery that needs to happen, my person needs to be able to get into the system right away without having to go through putting in a, a 15 character password and all these other things. So you know, that's where, you know, biometrics and all these other things come into play. And, you know, it's helping them. I think the, the word Shanisa used was empathy. It's about having empathy for their, their concerns, um, but taking that into account and, and considering how, how can I enable you and to, to do your job while I also do mine at the same time? Because at the end of the day, a, a failure on either of our parts um, has significant impact to the organization. So I I think it's, it's kind of putting the minds together and, you know, it's, you know, financial services, it's, it's about protecting somebody's financial assets, you know, with the explosion of of virtual payment methods and all of these types of things, you know, security was a big part of enabling that to happen because without it, now everybody's concerned, you know, am I going to lose my money? (laughs) So putting putting the life aside, it always comes back to money. <laughs> yeah, at some point. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Shanisa started to touch on it a little bit, and the example of onboarding somebody within a day. To me, that seems like a fantastic metric, right? Um, that I would say maybe the securely piece complicates that measurement. <laughs> what does it mean to be secure? And that's that's actually where I want to go with this. What? How do you, organizations and the teams responsible for secure access know that they're doing a good job how do they define success how do they measure success Janissa
3: so I'll start and say it's it goes back to business goals again um, from a purely security standpoint you always want to make sure that there's there's least privilege right, that you're not giving people more access than what they need, that you're not giving them access to things that are, are sensitive and they really don't require it. Um, we talked about from a business standpoint, maybe it's the speed of onboarding an individual, um, making sure that you don't stop doctors from, you know, being able to access something. And from a compliance standpoint, that goes back to separation of duties in a lot of cases of making sure that people cannot uh you know, cause harm to financials or uh, they don't get access to certain things that can impact uh, business risk. Um, and so I think bringing those things together, if you, and I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought, so I'm going to turn it over to John.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there. You know, its it, it comes back to, it's about people, process, and then technology. Because in onboarding, there are people and process involved so what you've got to do is you you need to understand the business process because we can't even from a from a security and uh data protection standpoint we can't create such a cumbersome process or we can't um you know burden them burden them with a uh, process that is so you know lengthy that they can't get their job done and you know i think it's you know we we need to know and understand what are the business requirements and then we can architect solutions that take into account um, security risk and compliance overall. Because it is that onboarding process when you think about it, and and we we started uh, the at the top of this session talking about secure access. It's about providing somebody with secure access. So you need to know what's that person's role, what should they have access to, um, and all of those types of things. And you know, onboarding also is. You know includes when when there's a change in terms of roles and responsibilities in an organization. So whether somebody gets promoted or demoted or moved to uh, a lateral move uh, to a different department, you've got to make sure that you remove uh, the the prior access and and grant them with what access they need for the new role. and And then it becomes, well, hey, you know what? I, I need this person to maintain their old access for some period of time while they train someone else, but I need them to ramp up in their new role. So it, it really, it, it, it takes a significant conversation, but with the business to completely understand their requirements before we even start to think about um, um, technology because it's it just kind of goes back to uh, uh, something that I said in a session I did at RSA back in 2011, a fool with a tool is still a fool. Because it's, you, you take a tool and you try to say, hey, you know what, if you lead with tools to begin with, um, you're going to be met with resistance because it's going to be, uh, well, it, it's going to impede progress because nobody has time to stop and test out the tool. But if you have established the requirements and what their needs are, then you can architect and or configure any given tool to meet those requirements.
3: I would agree with that and, and making sure it's not so burdensome that users find ways around the process <laughs> because, um, yeah, sometimes your, your internal users can actually be your best hackers to tell you where you have gaps. Cause they'll, they'll find ways around. So.
2: No doubt about it. The the workaround is, is the greatest threat. Internal threat is still the number one risk. Mm-hmm. Human risk is, is I think what we're calling it today.
1: <laughs> so let, let's touch on that quickly. Um, And I'll coin it or position it as where secure access programs might fail or we might leave some challenges because I'm just thinking, all right, so if I'm making somebody log in multiple times throughout the day to the same system or they have to log in five times to ask or ten times to access their environment, quote, unquote, um, and then we give them all the privilege that they need for everything at all times, regardless of whether they need all of that all the time. i um, just wondering, are there ways to, and I'm, I'm kind of bringing it back to story here, but where do organizations typically, I'll say, fail or miss the mark in terms of secure access programs uh, where they're creating chaos, creating um, things that go against what the business really wants? Maybe, John, you start. First, yeah,
2: her, yes. so John. you know, it's uh, and I think this is where you know we we there's been this concept of zero trust for a while and in trying to figure out what that is, but but we really have to get to more of a digital trust capability, and and that is one whereby and and even then that's going to be a challenge because a lot of people don't want to use their personal phones in the corporate environment because there there's the fear and concern that we're we're spying on them. <laughs> It's, we're really not we're, we're you know even though you're trying to enable them and make it easier to do the things that they're trying to do they they still have other concerns it's like well but I don't want to use my, my personal device to do that and the company says well you know we also don't want the expense of issuing corporate devices to you know now you've got to carry two phones and then well I don't want to use my personal phone but I don't want to carry two phones uh, so you know it's kind of the you know which which way do you get kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place but it is really about trying to find some common ground some uh, middle ground I guess it is and in terms of being able to help the help the business understand the the risk and un- I guess getting everybody on the same page in terms of risk tolerance. Um, and, you know, we we were talking about, you know, the, the Enterprise Risk Committee and, you know, governance risk and compliance and all of those different things. But it is um, it really is trying trying to find middle ground. And that's that's always going to be tough. I don't uh, you know, Sean, you, you've said something about a magic bullet uh, a little bit earlier. Yeah, I, I haven't found one or I don't have any magic uh, pixie dust, but it's 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 a continuously evolving uh, conversation, yeah and Shanisa, your
1: your view on this, and maybe from the perspective I be I don't want to bash technology. I certainly don't want to bash vendors they they have a there's a time and place for that because i I think the understanding that the environment and putting the program together can be challenging. And if there are technologies or if there are frameworks or if there are applications and products available that can help you kind of see that big picture, uh, I'm just thinking uh, single sign-on or, or MFA with stepped authentication um, to, to help kind of eliminate some of the burden up front and address some of the risk as, as it increases over time. Are there things teams can do to, to leverage technology and framework not to start there, but to at least understand better so they can then define the story, explain the risk, and then move on through controls and, and management.
3: Yeah. Well, I say there, there's a product for everything that ails you. <laughs> and like you alluded to, you know, product isn't always the answer necessarily. I mean, it can be. Um, But for me, one of the things going back to is usability. So talking with your users, your user base and understanding what's usable for them, Uh, because if you build something that's, you know, super secure, but it's overly cumbersome, uh, like we talked about before, they're going to find ways around it. And so you've invested all this money for a tool that users have found gaps in, you know, essentially, so. Going back to the concept of empathy as well, putting yourself in that user's shoes, understanding their journey. Um, should it be onboarding? Should it be you know, accessing a file day to day? What does that look like for them? And what security gates need to be there? And what's realistic for that particular type of access? Um, you know, hardened security, may have a place um, in certain scenarios and it may not have a place in other scenarios. Uh, And going back to some of John's conversation about risk. So, you know, putting those things together and understanding uh, where you want to give users a hard time and it makes sense. And then those places where you want to give them a streamlined experience. And that's just coming from a product perspective. So,
1: And and John, I'm going to put this question to you. Um, I mean, I grew up, in security, I don't know, 30 years now. I think that way. Uh, we've talked about security and risk as the core of this conversation. So my question to you is, are we missing the mark here? Um, in terms of, I think maybe I kind of led it there, that GRC or risk management is the f- the big umbrella that we should look through at this through or under. Is it really business process management and perhaps even business process automation, where we really define what we're trying to accomplish for the business and then pull in risk and security and people and process and tools. You're muted. Sorry, John.
2: It definitely is business process automation. Um, You know, you, you see a lot of, uh, projects now going on around RPA, the uh, robotic process automation, and things like that. And and how do you leverage artificial intelligence and all these different things? So it is about knowing and understanding the business processes. um, And then you can identify what the risk is in the current process so that you can go through some degree of process uh, improvement to improve the process. And then you can start to automate that improved process because now you can identify uh, opportunities for efficiencies for the business and for security. But, you know, I think you, you have to have the GRC piece because if there's no, if there's no governance, if there's no means for how you're going to measure and monitor uh, those, those processes that you've automated and how effective are they, um, how efficient are they, um, then you've got, then you have nothing to leverage in that continuous process improvement. So you've got to think about that. And, and in every process improvement, you want to look at and understand what is the risk. And, and I think by by doing that and and leveraging security and the technologies to be able to mitigate those risks and to be able to address them, you're and, and leveraging the, the frameworks and and the things that that uh, you and uh, Shanisa mentioned a little bit earlier, but leverage it a control framework to understand what are the uh, controls that need to be in place and that, you know, now you've got also part of that governance is internal audit and bringing them into the picture to, to assist with the monitoring of those environments. And, uh, you know, right now I go through annually um, a review with internal audit. They want to know and understand how are we improving the maturity of our organization? So, and by doing all of those things, Compliance becomes a byproduct, a natural byproduct of it, is, is how I think about it.
1: And Shanice, as we wrap, maybe any final thoughts from you on on that, or something else that we maybe didn't touch on.
3: Uh, I mean, just to to wrap, um, you know, we talked about you need this tiger team of people from security to compliance to business to come together. And I think that's really so important just because each of us has our blinders on. You know, security is totally focused on, you know, hardening an environment, whereas compliance is looking at, uh, you know, what's the risk? And the business is saying, I just want to operate and make money for the company. So all of those perspectives are needed to make sure you have a streamlined access process.
2: Love it. And John, any any final word from you? Um, Final final thoughts from me is uh, I agree uh, a thousand percent with what Shanisa just said. And, you know, it is about a a collective effort uh, between the business and IT and all of those different groups, you know. And, you know, the business includes legal. It includes internal audit. It includes um, corporate strategy. And, and by having all of those knowing and understanding who the key stakeholders are I think is is uh, is a priority and uh, if you do that know you know your key stakeholders know and understand what their requirements are and what their needs are then I think we, we have an opportunity
1: yeah and I think um, I mean it's it, it's such a, I, I just my, my my brain is scrambled a bit because there's so much there Um and so many parts in play. I mean, we didn't even get into a lot of the intricate details of what does it look like on prem versus the cloud. Uh, we certainly didn't get into deep into APIs and machine to machine, right? And we definitely didn't get into metaverse.
3: <laughs> all the fun stuff.
1: All all those things just just blow this up beyond uh, beyond uh, recognition in my mind. Um, so I think for me, it's it's to the basics understanding what the business is trying to accomplish um what the governance is to to ensure that that happens in the right way that includes compliance and security and then making sure the right team players are in in place uh to figure out those stories that drive the policies that drive the controls and and uh and hopefully, in a way where you can actually say, "This is what success looks like," and we can measure it, right? Which is not pissing off the users and uh, keeping uh, keeping prying eyes from from seeing stuff they shouldn't. So, with that, um, fantastic conversation, Shanisa and John. I'm I'm thrilled to have you on. Appreciate your time and, and insight here. Um, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. It was a pleasure and to those uh, watching thanks for joining us live or uh, on demand on youtube uh, or on the page and uh, for those who are catching this as a podcast uh, i appreciate you listening to this conversation and there'll be some links here hopefully shinisa and john will share some some links of uh, either frameworks or, or processes or some tips or tricks some medium blog they came across that would help or a twitter thread who knows whatever uh, we'll put those in the show notes. And uh, I mentioned this is a two-part. So I, I have the first part coming after the second part. This is part two. The first part is around identity uh, management. And uh, we're looking to do that one next week, same time, same day. So uh, so please stay tuned for that. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll uh, catch you on the next one.
0: Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at hightrustalliance.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues.